What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. My name is Robert Donaldson, and today, Thad and I are joined by the man that makes everything run smoothly on BlackheartGoldPants.com, and it's a guy who's plugged into Iowa football recruiting like nobody has ever seen before. Um, He's on top of every breaking news story I've ever seen pop up with regarding Iowa sports, and you guys pretty much probably already know him. So his name is Jonah Parker, aka JP and IC, and you know he's a great. He's, he would be a great guest on any podcast for any week, but particularly this week because we had a really nice or interesting conversation that kind of got sparked in our our work chat or group chat, and it's regarding Iowa basketball and just sort of where we see that direction and how good they can be under Fran and. You know, it was obviously centered around and sparked by the round of 32 loss to Oregon where, you know, there was a hundred points scored like by both teams. It just felt like every single possession was a bucket. Um, personally, I'm done feeling any sort of optimism for Iowa basketball under Fran. I just can't do it anymore. It's this was the team, in my opinion, but we'll get into more of that. And I guess I'll just, you know, how's your sweet 16 Sunday been treating you, Jonah? And um, what are your sort of thoughts on? I guess, Iowa basketball's performance against Oregon. You know, my Sweet 16 uh, Sunday was not as planned, given that early exit. But, um, you know, it's it's been nice to get some family time back here in the middle of the tournament, I guess, uh, is one one positive aspect of things. Um, you know, it, it, as it regards Iowa, I think what we saw here tonight, and, you know, this will be old news, I guess, by the time this goes live, but we, we see UCLA now making their run. I think the biggest thing for me is just how chaotic tournament play can be. And, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's disappointing. Obviously I think everybody that's a Hawkeye fan had major expectations for this team. The team did themselves no favors by kind of setting those expectations high. Right. So the outside chatter was already there. And then the team jumps in with talk of, you know, their final four aspirations, winning a conference title, all those things. And and the fans bought into that as well. So you know, the disappointment I'm sure is, is even greater for them, obviously. And, um, but at the end of the day, it's, it just, it feels to me like, um, come tournament time, anything can happen. Right. And we see that year in and year out, it gets magnified when it seems to happen to Iowa every time. Um, you know, we, we're never the ones causing the, the, the chaos, wreaking the havoc. We're always the one that's, that has something, uh, going against us. It seems like, but, um, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to, pin that on a coach um, to have something go against him. Uh, and, you know, it's not just this particular coach, right? It's basically every coach, um, you know, Tom Davis had his issues as well that got him ran out of town. Um, and so it's, it's difficult for me to have too terribly of a pessimistic outlook on Fran McCaffrey or Iowa basketball, just based on, you know, essentially one game. Um, in the tournament here. So I know that's not a very popular opinion and I'm sure you know, a lot of your listeners are going to disagree with me pretty strongly. I wrote a little bit about this last week in the optimist guide. Uh, we ran the pessimist guide, which is obviously uh, <laughs> I had, I had a buddy text it to me and say, Hey, this isn't the pessimist guide. This is the realist guide. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. It's just hard for me to be terribly pessimistic about the direction of the program, knowing that, you know, we just had, essentially the most successful season in, in Iowa basketball history in terms of running the, the entire course of the season in the top 15, vast majority of it in the top five. 
was the top 15 season in the history of the program in terms of conference wins, uh, conference winning percentage. It tied the school record for conference wins. You know, highest seed they've ever had in program history come NCAA tournament time. So, you know, obviously they're losing a lot going into next year, but who built that? That guy's still there, right? And so I have a little bit of faith, a little bit more faith, I think, than most people do, that Fran can, uh, you know, continue to the rebuild here from where we were when he picked up, um, take us to, you know, hopefully that promised land that is a Sweet 16 and beyond. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's not going to come from a season like this one where we have those high expectations. I have a feeling eventually the tide will turn and it'll be Iowa, you know, being the ones to cause people's brackets to be busted. Um, we got really close with that a few years ago, right? When, you know, they're in that first four game uh, against Tennessee, they come out on the wrong end of that, but then Tennessee makes their run. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that too in the, in the chat, you know, it felt a lot like that was one that um, had, Iowa pulled that one out. Maybe they're the ones that, that make a sweet 16 and that monkey's off your back early in France tenure. And I think if that happens, you know, there's maybe a little bit different rhetoric around the McCaffrey era here. So I don't know. Uh, I know I've got a differing view than, than the rest of you guys. So love to hear your, your thoughts on that yeah and obviously Tennessee has been sort of on the, like the back we've been on the wrong end of a two Tennessee games in the tournament right where like just one good possession or one little run at a certain time kind of changes the entire outlook on that specific season um but I'll let Thad kind of establish his point of view before we get into this like three-way headbutting kind of thing <laughs> yeah I think you know, I think I'm somewhere in the middle in terms of, um, you know, I'm I'm going to try to not let one game cloud my view, but I also need to be realistic about what happened in that game and what this Iowa team looks like in terms of a basketball roster and what, what the best teams in college basketball look like right now. Um, but it's all a little bit cloudy to me because of the fact of uh, there were a lot of injuries, some we knew about, you know, maybe some we didn't. And you know, this team had great expectations, and I think that's realistic, and I think it was well-deserved. They had arguably uh, the best ba- the best player in college basketball with Luka Garza and how dominant he was really throughout the season, and they had a lot of returning. But, you know, they got bit by a bug in the injury bug in spots they just couldn't afford to, you know. And when Nunji went down, um, you know, he's not a huge minutes guy, but he's really important to this team, and you watched – uh, different games he had during the season. You know, you think about in that Michigan State game when he's playing so well, and you think about other moments when maybe uh, Iowa didn't start off great, but he came in and was a spark off the bench. And with his length defensively, and Iowa could do some different things, and it let Garza maybe get a little bit more rest at different times as well. And then, you know, C.J. Frederick, who's such an important part of this team, you know, from the defensive end, but also his activity and the gravity that he pulls the defense because of his shooting and his ability to, you know, shot fake, get to the lane, make good decisions. And he clearly wasn't a hundred percent and he tried to fight through it, but he just, you know, he wasn't the player he, he is. And, you know, obviously after the season, we hear about Connor McCaffrey having uh, torn labrums in, in both hips and needing surgery. And, you know, obviously Bohannon coming back from, two hip surgeries and maybe having a little shoulder injury. It sounded like at some point, you know, maybe nothing serious. And I don't want to get too far into that because 
teams at this point in the season, all of them are going to be a little bit beat up. You know, everybody has some nagging things, but there are some, you know, guys that needed surgery uh, or need surgery if they haven't already had it. And if you tell me all of a sudden you take away some of those pieces, like Iowa just wasn't very deep on the wing. So when Frederick is himself, you know, that's not a spot they can just go plug another guy into, you know, same thing with, with Nunji. They don't have a backup center outside of him. And, and, you know, there was a piece on, on the website earlier in the year about how effective the plus minus was with Nunji and Garza on the court. And all of a sudden that's taken away. So to me, it's a little bit incomplete. This team had some flaws. Every team in college basketball right now has flaws um, just with the way college basketball is set up. So I could nitpick those, but the team had enough qualities that could have made a run, but they got the injury bug. Uh, they did, you know, get a tough draw. Oregon, who was underseeded, really we're finding out maybe the whole Pac-10 underseeded. Uh, and, you know, so underseeded, they get a buy in the first round and then they just shoot lights out and are, and are blitzing the Iowa defense, which had its issues, but Oregon was tremendous offensively. And I can tell you, you know, from coaching experience, when we talk about stuff with McCaffrey, uh, those games, anything can happen. You know, sometimes you just come out and get blitzed. We played a team that two games in the season, we each won. There were three, four point games postseason. We win by 35. We're not 35 points better than that team, but sometimes you just come out and things roll and there's nothing that the other team could have done to stop us that night. And it wasn't because of how they played. It wasn't because they weren't focused. It wasn't because they were on Twitter, you know, saying things, it, the fact was it just everything worked for us and we've also had games or seasons where the year we won a state tournament state championship we were behind or tied in our last five po- six postseason games that season in the fourth quarter fourth quarter tied or behind and we win all of them and win a state championship like the the margin of error there's such a fine line there so to me it's kind of an incomplete when you know the injuries and kind of ran into the buzzsaw that was, but I also have concerns about how is this team constructed going forward with the way college basketball looks when you watch these remaining teams. And I think that's kind of where I stand. That's the most interesting because I want to branch off what Jonah said. And when he was talking about, yeah, like tournament play is super hectic. Uh, we just saw the Alabama game end uh, against UCLA. UCLA went up 40, 29 at halftime. Alabama wasn't making any shots. All of a sudden, Alabama's on 11 over on its tide. They go to OT on a crazy three-pointer, and then UCLA wins up you know, by 13 or whatever the ending score was. And they were an 11 seed that was in a play-in game where they barely beat Michigan State, had to come back from like 14 points down in that one. And it just kind of sparked a run, right? Tournament play is so weird, but I will say this. So I'm obviously in a lot of betting circles, and I talk about it on the podcast like, with college basketball, it's just a fun sport to bet on. Um, all year, the talk around Iowa is, well, this is the team that gets bounced early in the round of 32, no matter where they're seated. They're going to get seated two or three, maybe even one at some points. They were talking about that. And they were still saying fade Iowa. And why are they saying fade Iowa? Is because teams come tournament time when you don't play defense at a high level or at least not a bounce style of play and you're volatile with your shooting, you're going to be susceptible. That's why a lot of people are taking... You know, UCSB against a Creighton team. 
you know, Creighton obviously has their big free throw issues, but I was not that great at the free throw line either. So, and that's been a common theme over uh, Fran's tenure. I, can, I think we can both all agree on that, right? But it's just the thing of, yeah, you can hit a three at a 40% clip in a game, but if you're giving up 60% field goal per shooting in the first half uh, to any team, those threes are probably going to get balanced out to some degree. Um, and it's going to be a tight game. And then it comes down to, okay, well, you know, who's going to be playing, getting the stops and starting the runs. And you can't really start runs when you're not getting stops and have the capability of playing good defense. In that Oregon game, there was such a stark contrast when Joe Toussaint was on the floor compared to Joe, um, Jordan Bohannon, right? It was it was night and day because Joe Toussaint had the quickness. He was physical. He was getting rebounds at, against dudes who were like 6'8", and you know, just and getting second chance points for Iowa's team that just weren't there when other guys are on the floor. And yeah, you, we talked about it with, you know, CJ Frederick was definitely dealing with injuries that probably weren't, you know, out to the public. Um, that pu- like you know, people knew about his early season injuries, but you have to imagine they were lingering um, because he kind of came back pretty fast, right? It was about two weeks gone when people were thinking he'd be out for a month or two. Um, and then obviously we hear about McCa- uh, Connor, which is, you know, that's insane to think about. Like he, he's a Spencer Lee of basketball at this point. Right. But, um, no, it just comes back, back to the point though. Even with those injuries, Oregon had like a six or seven man rotation the entire game and the pretty much the entire back end of the season. Chris, Chris Duarte, uh, Will Richardson were missing a lot of time. Those are the two best players and they still, you know, made a run. They won their regular season title. Um, they lost to Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament, but we're seeing what Oregon State can do. And I mean, look at even just Oregon State, for example. What do they do really well? They're not lighting up the field from scoring. They're just playing really good defense. And the under hits in pretty much every single one of their games because they just kind of keep it tight and keep the game within reach. And even when they fall down by six, they can get stops and get layups to get back in the game. I don't think that's the case ever with Iowa. And, you know, you when you look at, this is why my issue comes back to being about Fran, I think. And not just, you know, well, you know, every coach has issues um, and these kinds of situations. With Fran, he's been at Iowa now 11 years. He's been to 10 tournaments, with that's including NIT and, you know, NCAA tournament as well. He's won four games. So in those four, and let's just focus on the tournament games now. So at Iowa... First four loss against Tennessee. We kind of talked about it um, on the podcast already earlier on, but that was a really kind of tough game because it felt like Iowa that season was probably better than 11 seed, and they ended up having been forced in this playing game with another Tennessee team that kind of felt underseeded in their own right. You know what I'm saying? And they took them to the overtime, kind of down to the wire, and it looked like whoever won that game was probably going to go on a run because playing games usually spark kind of runs and we're seeing that with UCLA right now in the tournament but the next year second round loss it's a blowout 87-68 then second round loss the next year 87-68 then 2017-2018 second round loss in OT 83-77 where Iowa at first against Tennessee in that game before went to overtime we're getting blown out you know it, it just kind of happened where Iowa started making a lot of threes and getting a lot of points and that was a game where they actually played pretty good defense down the stretch. And what happened? You get back in the game in those kind of situations. 
Um, then obviously the tournament got canceled and then Oregon happened this year where they scored 95 or whatever. And it just felt like every single possession for Oregon was a bucket. Um, I just don't think you can be that volatile in the tournament and have success. I, I don't know where you guys stand on that, but I would like to hear your thoughts. Well, here, here's where I'm going to flip the script on you, Rob. Okay. Cause this is where next year gets interesting to me because you look at, at this year's roster and it's basically constructed of Luca Garza and a bunch of guys that can shoot it, right? And I think we can all agree that throughout France's tenure, one of his issues has been getting those athletic guards who can get into the paint, create their own shot, and defend quick offensive players on the other team. You look forward to next year, and it's a complete reversal. You look around, and you got C.J. Frederick coming back. But outside of that, you really don't have any shooters but you've got three or four guys who are all capable of getting their own shot, who are all capable of playing that in your shorts defense that you're talking about. Um, and Joe Toussaint, Aaron Uless, Tony Perkins, Keegan Murray. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to me to see, can he actually change his coaching style when his personnel is totally different next year? Versus this year. And I think what we've seen so far, and this is maybe one of the reasons why I'm overly optimistic, is he does really seem to shift his styles to fit his personnel. And I know there's, you know, <clears throat> if you're on the pessimistic side, you, you don't think that he really developed Luca Garza, right? That that was all of Frank Garza, all Luca's offseason stuff. And that that may be a big piece of it, but Iowa's offense ran through Luca Garza this year, all of last year. Um, and he totally retooled from, you know, a free flowing offense to one that basically created a post touch every single possession. Um, and so when, when we look forward to next year, I'm more optimistic probably than most that I, I, th I think he can find a way to shift his style to fit that personnel. Um, maybe I'm just anchored to what I heard him say in his opening remarks when he was hired, um, and I will fully admit that, like, I just ate that stuff up because I was in undergrad and fresh out of undergrad during the Licklider years. And, like, that was miserable, right? They played defense, but they couldn't score at all. They didn't have any athletes. And then Fran came in talking about how they were going to get up and down. They were going to score lots of points. They were going to change their defenses all the time. And that sounded really exciting. We have seen a good piece of that, but the defense – piece has been you know they get after it from time to time they press they change things up but that's clearly the deficiency and if you look forward to next year I'm hopeful that we see more of what he was talking about there more of the style of play that you saw at Siena um, that I think translates more to the postseason now obviously they're not going to be nearly as good as they were this year they aren't going to have the shooters and I think that's going to be a major issue for them but I still think they have the pieces there. Um, I'm really anxious to see what he does in the transfer portal. I think we're probably going to be disappointed from everything I've seen. Um, but he's got an opportunity to really sell something right now, including major playing time, given what they lost to supplement some pieces here and put something together that I think could actually be maybe not as successful in the regular season, but translate better to tournament play. Um, and fit more of the style that I think we all want to see and, and is totally different from a deficiency standpoint than what we've seen in the last 11 years. So I don't know if, if 
if anybody else thinks that I'm totally nuts with that view, I mean, we're obviously going to take a step back. So I, <laughs> I think expectations should be set accordingly, right? But it just feels like, to me, next year is a year where we're going to maybe surprise some people and we have an opportunity to totally flip things on their head. Yeah, I, I have concerns offensively with their lack of shooting, um, obviously. But as you said, they they really tooled things around Garza this year and putting the shooters around him was the right move. And those shooters were good players, you know, and, and we saw even, you know, when teams were sagging off Connor, uh, you know, prior, the first part of the season, he was around that 30%, which was fine. And late in the season, he wasn't making much, but you know, with the condition that he was in, I kind of give him a pass on that. I do worry about that. I, I'm interested to see, you know, what they do offensively. I think Fran is a really, really good offensive coach. Uh, the stuff he does with his motion is as good as anybody in the country. You look at his uh, baseline out of bounds, his out of timeout stuff. Like, it's all tremendous. It's really, really good. Uh, but I worry about the shooting. And it's kind of strange for me to say that because when he was first hired and early on, one of the things that drove me nuts is I didn't think they took enough threes. You know, I thought he was too interior focused. I thought there was too much mid range. Um, but I think as I've watched them over the years, I think he does a really good job of trying to suit the offense around what they have. And they are going to be much more of a slashing team next year. And even, you know, with Nunji, I think Nunji can be a really good player. The, the other thing is defensively, he's a rim protector. So if you've got Nunji out there and, and Keegan and uh, Patrick, you know, you've got some guys that can protect on the interior and you've got guys on the perimeter that hopefully can do a better job of keeping guards out of the lane and keeping from having to help up. And that was such a problem. And it was a sacrifice you made with Bohannon because he ran the offense so well. And this team is going to have to be geared around offense. And you don't want to take him out and say, well, you need a defensive player in there because this team wasn't going to win, get stringing together a bunch of stops. And I'm okay with that, you know. And some of the best teams do. You look at Gonzaga, they're based on offense. And they get some stops, but they're based on what they do offensively. And Iowa was not to that level this year. We saw that when they played earlier in the year and then down the stretch. But I think moving forward, we can see some some changes into the way they run their offense. I think they could go a lot of ball screen stuff. I think Nunji, Murray, McCaffrey, they can all do a lot of, they can roll, they can pop, they can cut guys off of it. I think they're going to be able to mix man and zone more efficiently and mix the type of zone. You know, Iowa used to run, you know, I think when uh, Aaron White was there, they would run kind of this, morphing 3-2-2-3 three, two, two, three, where it would start as a 3-2 but if the ball went to the the baseline to the or corner I should say all of a sudden it shifted to a 2-3 and I think they can run a little bit more of those sort of things because they are going to be more versatile defensively uh, we'll probably see more of uh, Fran's 1-2-2 two, two. and I think you know and that's one thing go, looking back at the year I think hurt them because they really couldn't run it with this group very often but that's one thing with the 30-second shot clock that can be a really big thing for this defense because if you run that 1-2-2 two, two, and with the personnel they're going to have, you can make the other team cross, really get into their offense with maybe 21 seconds left. So now you've 
just limited the amount of time that you can break down defensively. So I think that's going to be a big thing. I think we're going to see a lot of the one, two, two next year, mix man and zone behind it. Um, you know, so offensively, I think they're going to be limited in some ways, but I think they're going to find ways to supplement it. And the last thing, just to kind of go with, you know, Rob mentioned those games early or those tournament record games and stuff. But I, I do think, you know, we've saw this in this tournament matchups were a lot of it. You look at, um, the run some of these teams have had where they're all playing high seeds. And I still think when Illinois got bounced, I have no doubt in my mind, if Iowa goes against Loyola, they win that game eight out of 10 times because of the matchup. And, you know, it was a bad matchup for Illinois because of how disciplined Loyola was and how they could take advantage of them and on certain things. And Illinois obviously didn't play very well. But I just think sometimes you run into that and uh, there's maybe you want to say history of that because Iowa obviously was susceptible to long athletic teams. uh, And we saw that really when they lost twice to Indiana. I think, though, that's kind of the difference between Iowa and a lot of these teams that you always see making the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight in the fact that when Iowa can't score or they're just not scoring on an efficient clip, they're probably going to lose the game eight times out of nine or nine times out of ten just because they rely on outscoring their opponents so often. But you look at the Villanovas and Texas Techs and teams that have sort of this, even Baylor this year, you know, the teams that have more of an balanced approach. You know, Baylor against Villanova in this past Sweet 16 game, they scored 21 points in the first half. They were getting smoked. And they just recollected and ended up winning by 13 because they have this great defense and then an offense to complement it with Iowa. It's just, we're going to try to outscore the, the other team. And if we can't outscore the other team, well, we're going to lose because the other team is probably going to score upper seventies or even eighties, right? We saw that with Ohio state and those matchups. We saw it against Oregon. We saw it in Gonzaga. We saw it in a lot of these matchups and even, you know, a team like Indiana that got into Iowa's chest when they couldn't score a bucket they just collapsed because they didn't know what to do. They couldn't get a stop against those kinds of teams, even teams that have that hindrance on offense and can't really put up points. But what what really kind of discourages me with, with Fran specifically, um, and I would love to see next year's makeup because I think what Jonah said is so accurate about, this is such a unique looking team on paper, right? You know, you have a lot of youth. You have guys who are more athletic than usual at different kind of spots. I mean, probably the most athletic point guard I was had since like Trey Dickerson or, you know, somebody like in that kind of category who we already know is more established and better player than, you know, that guy. So but when I look around at some of these hires in this past, you know, two years, three years, like Eric Musselman, you know, going to um, uh, uh, Arkansas. They're already in the, you know, they, they obviously had to play elite Ro- um, or Roberts in the sweet 16, which isn't the matchup people were expecting, but they had to beat some good teams to get here. Right. And this is his second year or first really crack at the tournament. That Arkansas turnaround was massive. They hadn't made it past the round of 32 in about 10 years before Eric Musman arrived. Then you look at Nate Oates, you know, that team under Anthony Johnson was just kind of stagnant. They would get all these like really nice recruits. And they were another team that was really high scoring and didn't play a lot of great defense. And all of a sudden, you know, they're making a run to the Sweet 16. They have one of the best years in their program's history, almost a borderline one seed. 
you know, Brad Underwood's turnaround in Illinois definitely stands out. And then Chris Beard, you know, he takes the job at Texas Tech and immediately they're in the national title. And, you know, as seen as this team that's already a established, you know, contender year after year, no matter who they have. And they always have these one and done kind of guys with Fran. He had the national player of the year this year, and he's had him the last two years, if we're being honest. So you should be able to find a lot of success with a guy like that, especially when you're surrounding with guys like Joe Wieskamp and CJ Frederick and good entry passers and even good depth. Right. Keegan Murray was a big surprise this year and probably one of the better depth guys in the Big Ten immediately just because of what he can do defensively. And he was open from, you know, so many jump shots this year that once that develops in his game, he's going to be a serious threat, too. But it just it bothers me that there's always a cause for optimism when with Iowa basketball. There's always guys that were like, oh, you know, he really showed up last year as a freshman. You know, he'll probably build on that and get better. And we're, we have this kind of veteran leadership in front of him that can really carry the way. And then it just kind of feels like it flatlines. Like I know this comes a big narrative on Twitter every single year, or at least in past years, but the second half of the season, about February and late January, the Iowa claps, right? Is what everybody always talks about. Like France team just go on this weird skid. I think is, I, I don't know what the purpose or the reason is for that, but I just know that once we get to the big 10 tournament, I'm never optimistic. I feel like maybe we'll win one game and then we'll get bounced. That's just how I always feel. I don't know if you guys want to respond to that. Well, the one thing I'll say is outside of Chris Beard, um, pretty much every coach you mentioned has some slime on their name. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and that's one thing I think, you know, in I, some I, cases, I to... some, some may be putting it lightly there too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and one thing that like, you know, some I know some Iowa fans that their complaint about Fran is he won't play that game. Um, he won't get into that. And if you follow Iowa basketball recruiting, especially earlier in Fran's uh, tenure at Iowa, like it'd be, oh, you know, they're getting some interest from this guy and this guy. And then it would just drop off um, out of nowhere. Well, out of nowhere, if you're just kind of following along. And then usually some some tea leaves would turn over that, you know, whether it's an AAU coach or a handler, like somebody all of a sudden gets involved. And they don't play that game. Um, that that said, uh, one of my concerns has been, I just don't think Iowa in general has recruited at a level needed. Um, you know, Garza was a nice recruit. But outside of him, all of their better recruits are going to be in-state guys. And those are the guys you've got to get those in-state guys. Man, can I? I wanna, yeah, go can, ahead. I, I want to refute that. Like, right. So do you think with this, this Iowa team over the past two, three years that talent's been an issue? Because I feel like there's always this steady, you know, we have the National Player of the Year. We have a guy, then Joe Wieskamp, who's going to be an NBA kind of guy. And we have one of the best three-point shooters in the Big Ten and C.J. Frederick. Um, there's been a lot of local talent over the years and guys who we, we'd go out of state for and they'd be hits. So I, I, I just, I hear that a lot because, um, you know, with Arkansas, apparently great high school talent down there. And they were able to, you know, build that program up because of that in part. But I think, I, I don't think... I, Iowa's problem is recruiting talent. I think they have more talent than a lot of these teams that are already, you know, in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. I would argue f that they've been able to get guys who specialize in one or two skills. And I think Fran, I think the best thing he does is he's a talent evaluator and he's really good at evaluating talent. Um, and he gets in on guys early. You see a lot of guys that 
after their uh, freshman year of high school, their summer or their sophomore years. Like he's in on a lot of guys early and they haven't been able to land a lot of those big fish. You think what happens if Iowa lands Tyler Ulis back when he was coming out and like they just needed a point guard so bad with some of the other pieces. And, you know, somebody like Bohannon is going to go down as one of the great Hawkeyes, but he was limited on one side. And then all of a sudden they go searching. They need some defense. And I, I like what I see out of Ulis. I like what I see out of Perkins. I think down the road, they're going to be nice players. Um, but in the past, when they've gone searching for that, those guys just haven't panned out because they haven't been able to cut it at all on the other end. And I, I don't think it's a complete lack of talent. Like, I, I think that they've got guys that are skilled and have some talent. But you look at the thing where they're struggling at those long athletic wings. And I'm watching the tournament. And one thing that when I watch somebody like in Arkansas, I'm amazed at how many times the defense is sagging off and giving them chances at shooting. But because of their length, they were able to get to the rim and, and did a great job of that. So I think I think they haven't been able to land those one or two like wings that can do it all. And they've had great, they've had a lot of, you know, they've had first team guys. And I think a lot of that is Fran tailoring his offense to those guys. But I, I do think, you know, if you want a team that look, this team was in the top 15, top 10 for most of the season and they were really good and had talent. But I think if you, for fans looking for those teams that are going to look like some of those more athletic teams, it's going to take a different type of player. And at this point they haven't been able to land that guy. I think you said it really well there. It's not that they're not, that Fran's not able to get talent. He's, he's excellent at identifying talent. They've had a lot of talent on the roster, but there's a difference between talented and skilled and athletic. And I think what people are really frustrated by is every time Iowa runs into a team that's built on athleticism and speed. It's like running into a buzzsaw. They just can't compete with a roster full of, you know, three or four guys on the court at a time who can get their own shot at any moment, who can blow right past every one of Iowa's perimeter defenders, which creates all sorts of issues on the defensive end with rotations, with sagging off and help defense and guys that, you know, we just can't compete with going up and down the court. And so, <clears throat> to me, there are a couple of ways that I think Fran can do that. And he's tried it a few times, right? The first is basically give up on this goal of finding shooters and just go for the pure athlete because the guys that are pure athletes that can shoot really well are top 50 kids and they're not coming to Iowa unless Fran decides to start getting slimy. Um, but otherwise he's basically going to have to just be at you know, he's going to be waiting on those kids to come up in the state of Iowa and be Hawkeye fans because we've seen time and again, when, when the state does produce those talents, they leave, you know, a, a lot of them don't grow up Hawkeye fans. Some of them were earlier in Fran's tenure, right? Harrison Barnes, Marcus page, those guys weren't going to come to Iowa in the middle of the, the rebuild. And if, if those types of kids grow up in this era, maybe they think about it, but you know, even we saw with the, the Ellis kid out of Davenport is it was headed to Texas. We'll see where he goes now that Shaka Smart's going to Marquette, I guess. But, you know, the, the Bilou kid out of 
um, Ankeny right now that, you know, who knows where he's going to end up, but my guess is that's not going to be Iowa. You know, the state is producing a lot of talent and they're starting to produce more of those pure athletes that I think fans really want. Getting them to actually come to Iowa is a totally different story and getting them to come to Iowa from out of state is going to involve either giving something up from a skill standpoint that so far he hasn't really been willing to do, or if he is, it doesn't translate. Um, or he's going to have to start getting a little bit dirty here and there, um, picking his spots to do something like that. And, you know, maybe you're comfortable with that. Maybe you're not, but I, I think that's at this point kind of a requirement, um, given what we know about how college basketball is run. So I guess what is interesting about that is, you know, obviously I'm not under the impression that Iowa has a great pedigree of athletes on the roster every single year, but doesn't, isn't, isn't that like a style where you, if you don't have a lot of great athletes, you're probably going to make up for it a lot on the defensive end. Like does, isn't that usually how that plays out? I would, I feel like Fran's gone the other way, right? He's, yeah. he's decided like, look, we, we can't, we're not going to get the athletes who can defend the perimeter at Iowa. Um, this state produces shooters and we're able to recruit because of the style of play that we've had historically, we're able to recruit, you know, guys that can knock it down that want to play a high scoring game. Um, and he's certainly prioritized, you know, length over that quickness. I think, it mostly because, like I said before, I think the guys that are quick and can create their own shot and defend and also shoot, like those are the top 50 kids in the country, right? And so the, the he's identified a lot of those guys super early on, as Thad said. He is excellent at finding those guys like their freshman year, summer after their freshman year, being one of the first couple of schools to offer and, you know, building that relationship to the point where I think that's really hurt him in recruiting a few times where he's built that relationship for two, two and a half years felt like they're in a really good spot. And then they finish second. Somebody swoops in at the last second and steals that guy. And then, you know, options B and C have already signed somewhere, committed somewhere. And you're down to option D Well, that kid can't defend or that kid can't create his own shot. That kid can't shoot, but he can defend. And so then it's picking like what is most important to you, in that class. And it feels like he's erred on the side of, you know, I'm going to take the long guy that's not as athletic, but can make up for that on defense by being able to play like the top of the zone um, or can shoot over guys in the offense. Um, and I don't, I don't know that that's going to change, but like I said, that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit more optimistic about the future here is it does feel like for once the group that he has already on the roster does have more of that quickness athleticism that we're looking for. And you're adding Peyton Sanford in this next class. Who's a shooter, uh, excellent shooter. He's got the length. It's going to look exactly like your prototypical Fran recruit. And so then it's like, well, what's he going to do in 2022, right? He's got the the big guy and Mulvey already committed. He's in on, you know, what I think is what we've all been hoping for out of a point guard in that DeSante Bowen. Um, but he feels a lot to me like, one of those guys where Fran got in early, identified him, and he's just going to explode. And is he going to stay with Iowa, who's been with him and in on him early? Or is he going to go somewhere else? And how does Fran pivot from there? Because that, to me, has been one of his biggest issues over the last 11 years, is where does he go once that guy that he's built a relationship with you know, opts for somewhere else? 
one thing that, you know, and I've heard this from a lot too, and I don't know the truth of it. And obviously there probably is some, I think it was hard for them for a while to recruit. You look at point guards when, when Connor McCaffrey was signed up and in wings, when you have Patrick and those guys have turned out, they're valuable players. Like there's no arguing of, should they, you know, be offered? Should they be playing? In my opinion, like they deserve the minutes they've had, but I think there was some trouble with that. And then the other thing is with, when you have an experienced roster like this, like they've had really the last couple of years for the most part is those top 50 hundred guys might not want to come into a situation where there's a two year or three year starter in front of it in front of them that isn't looking at probably being a pro the next year. Um, you know, there's, there's a guard from not far from me, um, in the Omaha suburbs, that's a top five recruit in the country. He's going to Gonzaga. And part of it is like, he knows he can go there and Jalen Suggs is off to the NBA, you know, and, that's just an example of a situation where those sort of guys want to go and they're look, they're probably going to win a spot anyway. Somebody like Suggs, perfect example. I think Fran offered him super early and I'm not going to give Fran a ton of credit for that. Anybody could have watched him in about eighth grade and knew this guy was legit, but those guys are going to go to those situations. Um, so that does make it hard, but, but that said, he's got to win some of those battles. Like he's got to get somebody that's a top 50 guy that can really change the game and the change Iowa's outlook in terms of that. Um, if they want to get, you know, make that sweet 16, make that elite eight run. Um, because in the tournament, that guard play tends to be the common denominator of the best teams. Yeah. And, you know, I think you just kind of said it. They want to go to these teams. Well, he has to win some of these battles for like these top guys, right? And how do you do that? You have to show that you can actually make be a contender and make deep runs. And I think Iowa right now has this kind of national brand of people are recognizing them, right? This is a team that had the national player of the year twice and you know, back to back seasons. I'm just gonna keep saying that because it's a fact. But um no, they had a guy who everybody knew in, in college basketball world who followed the sport, Luca Garza, right? These past two years. And they're starting to become this team that's really exciting because they hit a lot of three-pointers and they score a lot. Um, and so I think that should be an attractive kind of thing to go to Iowa. And you're playing in the Big Ten, which is pretty much going to get in eight teams a year, maybe even more some years um, when the conference is really clicking. So there's just so much appeal for Iowa right now. You have to win those kinds of battles on the recruiting trail. But I think that comes full circle to what we're talking about is anytime Iowa's gotten the tournament or got a crack at doing something, they really just, they've fallen flat. I mean, there were a two seed this year, right? You know, they're obviously first round, probably going to be a layup unless you're playing Oral Roberts apparently. But, um, you know, second round, yeah, I think you do run into an underseeded Oregon team that kind of got the, you know, lack or the, the you know, the non-benefit of doubt for playing in the Pac-12 and then losing to Oregon State in the conference tournament. And so they end up as a seven seed as opposed to what they probably should have been, you know, five seed, something like that. And then you have to play them round two after they just had a walkover against VCU with COVID. But you shouldn't get embarrassed in that spot. Iowa was getting blown out at the end of the first half. And it kind of just felt like, I don't know what your guys' mindset was at the halftime spot. I thought Iowa was going to lose by 20. That's like the way my mind was like, Iowa can't buy a stop. This game, game's over. And 
that's just weird because I people evaluators for the tournament looked at Iowa all year and they said, you know, you guys lost some games compared to other teams that maybe we could slot ahead of you, but you're still going to be a two seed. And I, I think that's pretty much evaluating the talent that Iowa had and saying, yeah, you guys can compete for a national title. And they're getting bounced in the round of 32, losing by 15 points. I, I If it was competitive at any point during that stretch against Oregon in the second half, I've been like, you know, crazy hectic things happen in March, but you got to be competitive in that spot. And that, that to me is where, and it's not just you, Rob, I think a lot of people feel the same way, right? There's a lot of chatter and it happens. It feels like every time Iowa loses in the round of 32, <clears throat> to me, that's where the, there's too much being put into that one game. And again, this is, this is going to sound like I'm making excuses. So, feel free to rip that apart, right? But if you put them in basically any other region than the one they sat in, and you look at who they could have been matched up with, it's really difficult to see them being blown out in any of those games, right? So you look at like Houston right now and their path to a Final Four. The best team that Houston is going to play en route to a Final Four is going to be the seventh place in the Big Ten Rutgers Scarlet Knights. That's vastly different from an athleticism standpoint, from a matchup standpoint, they getting stuck with Oregon. Now, I think Oregon was underseeded. It's the matchup they got. So, you know, whatever. Um, Iowa should have played them tighter. And as far as, like, my mindset at halftime, I was more of, like, this is going to go one of two ways. And I think it was the same way before the game. Like, when you look at their roster, you knew this is a tough matchup. This looks more like Indiana. So either Iowa is going to try to find a way to grind this out and it's going to be difficult for them to score or I was going to find a way offensively to light it up. And it felt like in the first half to me, it was trending more towards that in terms of everybody's just getting up and down. They're getting whatever they want. I didn't think Oregon could stop Iowa any more than Iowa could stop Oregon. And I have a lot of faith in, Iowa's shooters so to me it was going to go either way we were going to blow them out or they were going to blow us out one of us was going to stop hitting open shots I don't think there's any other matchup that they could have had as a two seed there where I would have felt that way it would have felt much more like a normal game I mean you look at the rest of Iowa's schedule throughout the year there are a lot of games a lot of teams there where I feel like those are much more difficult matchups for Iowa than basically anybody else sitting over there um, in, in the other three regions. And so, I don't know. It, to me, it all comes down to the matchups. Things get crazy in March. And so I understand it's frustrating. I understand they got to be, they got to find a way to fight through that and, and get over the hump one of these days. I just think eventually they're going to get a matchup that works for them. The Something's going to break their way. And instead of playing, you know, seven-seeded Oregon, they're going to be playing 15-seeded Oral Roberts in the second round, and um, I think it's going to happen not when they're a two-seed. I think it's going to happen when they're under-seeded somewhere along the line. Maybe that's next year. Maybe it's five years from now since Fran's locked up for forever. Um, but I don't know. I, I just – it's hard for me to get too down on things. It, it, it just feels like putting way too much into one single game in a tournament that is as crazy and chaotic as March Madness is every single year. 
I'll let Thad fill in there. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's hard to put everything into one game, and and then one game that that the second half went the way it was, and then, you know, because the game was back and forth till that stretch right before the end of the half, where Oregon kind of blew it open, hit hit a couple big shots in a row, um, and then in the second half, all of a sudden Iowa's now okay. Once they got down, now they're trying to come back, so that you see them trapping and doing some other stuff. And they weren't just going to, they weren't going to be Oregon that way. And, you know, that's, that's the variance you get in the NCAA tournament. You know, as we're recording this at halftime, Oregon's went three for 12 from three against USC, (laughs) USC's five of nine from three and Oregon's getting offensive rebounds the same way they, they were against Iowa turnover rates about the same. Um, But they're not getting, they're not making some of those shots. And, you could say it's variance. You could say USC is better defensively. They are obviously better defensively than Iowa is, but I would argue they're not any better offensively, but they got those misses and then they were able to run. And we saw Iowa make, make some of those. Iowa, when they forced misses could really get out and run on Oregon. So, you know, some of that's going to be variance. And, you know, as Jonah mentioned, you look at the tournament paths of two seeds, like, Alabama two seed. Then they played 10 seed Maryland. Um, then they get 11 seed UCLA and they lose. Houston gets 10 seed Rutgers. Then they get 11 seed Syracuse playing game. You know, Ohio State loses in the first round to Oral Roberts, who then goes and beats Florida, who, in my opinion, was a pretty weak seven seed just in terms of when I had watched them in the past. And, you know, then then Iowa, you know, gets Oregon off of a no contest. Like they don't even have to play. So I don't know what to make of it. Um, I think there's Iowa team had flaws. I, I have some concerns going into next year, but at the same time, I'm definitely not one that's lost faith in what the Iowa program is right now. And you can mention, well, this coach is having success. This coach is having success, but at the same time, like, would you substitute what Iowa's had for the last couple of years, two, three years compared to Wisconsin? You know, I was beat up on that. That's a team that's based on defense and controlling the ball offensively. What about what Minnesota's had happen the last little while? They hired Patina going to be this great run. You know, obviously Indiana beat them twice this year, but would you flip seasons with them the last couple of years? And that's Indiana. You know, what about some of these traditional powerhouses around the country? You know, uh, what about UConn? What about, you know, some of those other schools? What about how UCLA, obviously they're making their run right now, but it hasn't been pretty for them over the last little while. So I have faith in Fran. Um, but part of it too, is it's going to be a little bit like maybe with Iowa football and they have to find what works best for them. And like we've talked about on this pod, a bunch, you know, Kirk Ferentz knows, Hey, this is what we do. We're, this is where our recruiting base is. These are the type of guys we can get. And there are some teams that they really sh- have struggled with historically because of the matchups. But at the same time, there's been teams that are arguably much more talented, you know, across the roster, across the depth chart. And they've been able to either play those games closer than what they should or win those games. And France kind of on the, a little bit different end of it, but you watch how they've played some of these teams and, you know, Michigan state had no answer for them, you know, and you watched them in other games, like 
what they did that second time against Ohio State and how they just completely trounced them. And that's a really, obviously a really good Ohio State team and one that's got a lot of athletes and high-end recruits. So I think there's a few pieces that, that would really go a long way. You know, I mentioned Tyler Uless, uh, somebody like uh, DJ Carton who went to Ohio State and now is at Marquette. You know, that's another guy you plug. I think they're just, you know, missing that one or two pieces that can change the way the team is. Because really, you look at under Fran, the only guy they've had that really could play the guard position and was a break-you-down guy, in my opinion, was Devin Marble. And he was a different type of break-you-down guy. He was 6'6", point guard, long and slinky, could make some moves and create things. They haven't had some of the other pieces when they had him. They didn't have some of the other pieces. So I, I think they're close. Um, I'm interested to see development of guys. And I always have to be careful because, you know, Rob is a big guy that follows draft and NFL stuff. Like people, fans will always over-evaluate talent of their own team. You know, you look when teams are looking to trade somebody, they're like, well, we can't trade him. Remember that time he did this or that? And because we follow and we see the highs and we imagine that's who they are or who they could be. And I don't want to get too far out on some of these guys. Like I love Keegan Murray, but I don't know if he's going to become a first team all conference or all American. Um, I think he can be a really good player. Same with CJ Frederick. Um, I really like some things out of Tony Perkins, uh, the way he can get to the rim, how powerful he is. Some of the things he did in high school offensively, I think he's got a really high ceiling and, you know, a floor of no matter what, he's a great defensive player, but I'm not sure how these pieces are going to fit together. And if they can get, you know, if, do they get somebody in the, the transfer portal that can fill one of those roles and, you know, how do those things work out? How does, you know, can Jack Nungy stay healthy for a year and those sort of things. So I'm in wait and see mode. Uh, I trust that Fran will have them be a good team. I don't think they're ever going to be, or I shouldn't say ever. I I don't think barring most things, they're ever going to be really bad under him. But, you know, I as an Iowa fan, this was the season to have this great, great run. And it didn't happen. And that stings, obviously. And I think a lot of people are going to be feeling that sting for quite a while. Just as we kind of like come to an end on this one, because I, I feel like we this is a pretty good episode. We've had we've had some pretty in-depth discussion about some cool topics. I think a lot of Iowa fans probably are having at their local pub or having with their buddies on, you know, in person or whatever. But what you said about clinging to the players that you see, like they're, they're high moments. Right. And just being and over evaluating them on based on the highs. When you look at Fran McCaffrey's tenure at Iowa so far, what is the high? What is the high moment that you cling to? Because with Iowa football, I cling to the Rose Bowl season. I cling to, you know, Orange Bowl season. I cling to these these times where Iowa felt like they're about to shock the whole damn world. With Fran, I can't think of a single moment other than regular season and Luca Garza. So I, I guess what are your guys' moments that you're clinging to with Fran over the past 11 years? Yeah, it'd be hard to argue that there's one specific thing. You know, if I think back over his tenure, what do things stick out? Like individual performances. I think about that NIT run. Um, I remember that early upset 
was it his first year when they first or second year when they beat Purdue, who was like fifth in the country at home? Um, you know, I think of some of those individual wins that they've had, uh, but there hasn't been that postseason success or that like crazy season. But it's at the same time, like this team was in the top five for good portions of this year. You know, uh, they had a team a few years ago that I thought really overachieved during the regular season and got to that top five ish. Um, when uh, Jared Utoff was on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. and I, But I thought that team, you know, they went on one of those late season kind of falls. But, you know, if you look historically, that they happen, but not really that frequently, any more than what variants would say. And really, I thought that team just overachieved for a lot of the season. Like, they were winning games. They probably, in my opinion, weren't better than some of those teams. So... Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because I don't have a great answer in saying, oh, you remember this game when they won this or won that. Um, that late season big moment, whether the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament, is missing. I think that's a, an absolutely a, a fair criticism of Fran, right? I think for me, if I think about, you know, when I'm old and retired and spouting off to my grandkids about, you know, the glory days, there is no postseason run to lean on. As of right now, you know, what I'm going to tell my grandkids about is the two-year stretch where Luca Garza showed he was the greatest player in Iowa basketball history, right? And the greatness that we got to watch with all of that, coupled with, you know, the stuff that Bohannon did. Um, but certainly if you're looking for something Fran-related, that's not going to get it done, right? I think basketball is is interesting in that, the regular season really doesn't matter, right? All we care about is how did they do in the tournament? College football is totally different, right? Nobody, you, you think back like that 2015 season, it sucks that they got ran out of the building at the Rose Bowl, but they made the Rose Bowl. They went undefeated. They made the Big Ten Championship. And I'm going to tell my grandkids about that too. And sitting there right on the goal line, watching that outstretched arm break my heart. Um but that's something you can lean on, right? That they, they got there. They did that. And there isn't that for France. So that, I mean, that's absolutely fair. Um, I just think that it's an interesting dichotomy where come basketball, all you care about is that postseason run. And in football, you don't quite have that. I mean, you point out the, the orange bowls and stuff, but I think about you know, some of my memories and that first orange bowl where they just got absolutely crushed by USC like that was an excellent team too that you lean on for, you know, Ferentz basically signed his lifetime contract with some of those early runs. Right. Um, and it's, if, if Fran got ran in the sweet 16, would we have the same criticism of him as we do in the round of 32, right? If, if they meet up with whoever it is in the sweet 16 and lose by 30, I have a feeling we have a similar criticism of him at that point, if they had the same expectations as this year. So it's, it's just interesting to me that, that it's so much of it comes down to, you know, postseason play with basketball. And there isn't that, you know, real crown jewel for the McCaffrey era yet. Um, but again, we've, we've got a long time left with him. So maybe there will be something here in the next few years. I mean, a lack of post, a lack of <laughs> postseason success is what got Tom Davis, his contract not renewed. And all of a sudden they make the sweet 16 in his final season, but that's exactly you know, what was it, like 10, 11 straight tournaments and winning the first round, but not advancing past this, past that moment. Like, that's what got Tom Davis 
to not get renewed on a contract and for them to go on this search of, you know, having Iowa basketball take the next step. And we know how that run went until really Fran kind of stabilized things again. So there's a long history of a lack of postseason success for Iowa. And, you know, Tom Davis's best teams were before he was bringing in his own players. And obviously he's one of the best coaches to ever be at Iowa. And, you know, wasn't able really to have a lot of postseason like memorable moments. So I feel like we're just kind of living through that right now as well. So not to come full circle on your your comments earlier about some of the other coaches, I mean, the best Tom Davis years came after George Raveling. And it's it's an open secret at this point how those recruits ended up at Iowa. And so, I mean, maybe we get back to that at some point. I think we're really anchored to this view that you know, based on the success we had during the 80s and, and the late Lute Olson years that, um, you know, we're entitled to that, you know, making the tournament is the baseline. A sweet 16 is the expectation and we should be making runs at some point um, or we should be moving on to the next coach. I, I don't think that that's a realistic expectation on a go forward basis unless you're willing to sacrifice some things that, you know, the last couple coaches anyways, I don't, I won't speak for, uh, the gentleman that's in Nevada now, but I mean, I think, I don't think we're going back to those times unless we change our approach, um, to hiring coaches. And maybe that happens, right. You know, we're getting a new president here, uh, in the next month or so. And who knows, maybe we get a new athletic director and this, uh, long extension from McCaffrey changes and, and things change on that front as well. But for right now, it, it feels like, what we expect out of Iowa basketball um, maybe needs to change a little bit. And that um, that sweet 16 isn't necessarily the baseline barometer for what is a successful season, um, but should be viewed with a little bit more allure given the fact that we haven't been to one in, you know, 20 plus years. And uh, the one before that was quite some time before as well. I'll give you a label for what you just said. Program purgatory. You're too you're too good to get rid of you change things up because you can do a lot worse. But you're not good enough, and eleven years in, you're it doesn't look like the ceiling is much higher than what it currently is. You're the Marvin Lewis Bengals. You're at you know and Alex Smith, the Iowa football team. But you know every four years they give us something that kind of you know exceeds expectations a little bit. It's just one of those spots where I hear you. We can do so much worse. And one bad change, one drastic change based on knee-jerk responses to bad tournament losses could set the program back a decade, right? We've already kind of seen that happen. Um, but it's just one of those things that it's it's frustrating because you see the talent that comes through and the kinds of teams that come through and you just you want that thing to cling to right of this can potentially happen to this program and in 11 years the nit run i think i think that kind of said it was probably my one of my favorite moments with iowa basketball it, it reminded me it's obviously not the same level as those early ference years um but it reminded me of that a little bit in terms of he talked the talk when he got here and that felt like oh man we're already here 
where are we going? Right. And uh, it's leveled off. Certainly the trajectory has leveled off since we've gotten to that point. Um, and so now it certainly feels like with the early tournament exits, a disappointment. Um, so I, I, I plead no contest on, on, <laughs> on that point. Well, this team had so much expectations and then obviously like with everything that happened with the NCAA tournament getting canceled last year, everything shutting down all summer, you know, football being abbreviated. It was like, Hey, we have this to look forward to. And really for much of the season, like, I loved my chances getting to watch this team. And I think that's one of the things that if I'm going to remember about this team is obviously Garza, Bohannon, some of the guys, you know, individually, but I thought this team played really hard all year. I thought they played an entertaining style. They played together. Um, and, you know, it was a lot better than watching a lot of other teams. And it's just too bad that they lost when they did the way they did, because, I hope that's not the narrative of this group long-term because it was a good group. They played really well. I thought it was entertaining to watch. And it was a really, really good team uh, that had a big letdown in the postseason. And, you know, and that hurts. You know, that hurts. Uh, I'd argue it wasn't near as big of a letdown as, you know, Ohio State going down in the first round or Illinois, who was a championship favorite going down in the second round to a much smaller school right nearby. You know, if you said, well, would you rather go down to Loyola or to Oregon? Um, I know which one sounds a little bit better. And, you know, like we like to do on here, we could have all all been like Iowa State this year and not won a single conference game. <laughs> I think that's a fantastic point to close on. You know, this was a special team, right? Like th- these guys, this group of players – gave us moments that we're going to always remember and, and just things that we're always going to remember. We're, we're always going to be talking about Luca Garza until we die. Right. And we'll always kind of remember Joe Wieskamp and Jordan Bohannon for, you know, his clutch heroics in the end of games and things like that. And how this team was, you know, a lot of fun to watch for, you know, 30 games, 60 games, whatever it was. But, um, yeah, uh, I think we'll probably close on that. Jonah, do you want to, shout out your Twitter and, and get that following up or what? <laughs> Why not? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's JPNIC underscore BHG, just to make it nice and long for everybody to not remember. <laughs> that sounds like a, when you say it out loud, it kind of sounds like a, like a bar, like a rap lyric. <laughs> but all right. You know, we will always love you guys leaving comments and, and checking out the pod. We always appreciate the love, especially in this kind of dead period that we're about to head into where, you know, I women's basketball is done. I women's basketball is done. Football's on kind of the, the back burner right now. And we head into some of these summer sports that get a little bit less pub, but we still appreciate it as Iowa fans. So, um, you know, with that said, we will see you all in a future pod. Take it easy.